0: Hey folks, it's Luke. Stay where you are, because in the next hour you're going to meet Dana Gould, a comic who's always been pretty forthcoming when it comes to his personal life. People ask me all
3: the time why I chose to adopt my children, and I always think, hmm, I don't know. Let me look at my side of the family. Religious weirdo, gun nut, biker, boozer, dead tooth, too many cats, the guy who talks to his truck, hmm, maybe I adopted because genetically my balls are full of poison.
0: Well then, this is the show that's starting the new year right where it left off last year, featuring language that's wildly inappropriate for public radio. This is Live Wire! From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Live Wire. with Jezebel columnist Lindy West, comedian Dana Gould, and music from Blitz and Trapper, plus our comedy troupe, The Talking Radio Heads, and even more music from our house band, led by Mr. Ralph Huntley. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Live Wire Radio, recorded, as always, in front of a live crowd at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This is our end-of-the-year broadcast, and what a show we have for you. Our buddy Lindy West is going to swing by. She's a columnist for the website Jezebel which means she spends an inordinate amount of time arguing with commenters and other internet trolls.
4: I work for the internet, and if you don't know what that is, it's a machine where you put in vulnerability and emotion and hard work, and then just, like, a piece of poop comes out, and then the piece of poop tells you you're fat.
0: Plus, Dana Gould, comedian, writer, and newly single father, provides some insight on growing up in the 60s.
3: I was born on August 24th. 1964, which is exactly nine months and two days after the Kennedy assassination, which tells you all
0: you need to know about how my father processes grief. And we'll get ready for 2014 with the music of Blitzentrapper. Speaking of New Year's, which is almost here. As I sit in my little home studio here in Seattle, we're in that window of time after Christmas, but before we officially enter the new year. And for a lot of us, well, if you're me anyway, um, we sort of spend this last bit of time after Christmas doing our last minute indulging, you know, whether it's food or drink or whatever, before the new year starts. Because The new year is when we are really going to get it together, right? We're going to work out. We're going to make better decisions about who we go on Tinder dates with. And we are just generally going to become the amazing person that we've always known that we could be, but for some reason we've never quite managed to become. It is a weird thing, right? This hope, this idea that our better days are always in front of us if we just want it badly enough i got to tell you, though, as unlikely an idea as it is, I'm brimming with that feeling today, uh, that excitement going into the new year. For one thing, I am excited for the new year because my wife got me a puppy, a little lab named Rudy. And um, she's actually—by the way, it is a girl named Rudy. Just think like Rudy Huxtable. She's actually sitting on my lap as I'm recording this. Rudy, you want to make your national radio debut? Alright, she's off to a slow start But listen, somebody's got to be the strong, silent type in this family And Lord knows it ain't going to be me Anyway, we've had Rudy for a couple of days now And, um, you know, she's a pretty good sleeper Um, But even so, she wakes up a lot in the night So it means we're not getting, like, a full night's rest And she's still learning that you're supposed to go to the bathroom outside Not indoors, on the rug, literally in front of the Christmas tree But here's the thing I know that Rudy has potential. She has potential to learn things and to change and to grow. And so as I'm wiping up um, another accident from her, I'm not totally demoralized because I know that it's kind of a small setback on this longer journey that we're taking towards Rudy being the Rudy that we know she can be. And I guess I feel like if if a dog can do it, so can I and, and so can all of you. You know, Sure, we had setbacks last year, and we're going to have some accidents here in the new year, but that doesn't mean we have to be done becoming the people that we're on our way to being, no matter how old or young we are. Right, Rudy? Are you trying to be that dog from the silent movie The Artist? Anyway, you guys, trust me, she gets it. Um, And also, I need to take her outside right now, so... Let's head back to the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland to kick off this week's show with a song from Blitz and Trapper. They've been playing together as a band for 12 years to the great enjoyment of fans and music publications, the likes of Spin, Pitchfork, and Rolling Stone. Paste magazine calls their latest album, Seven, their best offering to date. Let's take a listen to Portland's own Blitz and Trapper on Livewire.
5: I've been driving all night On the road to nowhere But the devil's Come on like smoke Upon my track Girl I hardly knew you And I could never fool you You was always hitting the stick While the world raced to its grave And when the morning Breaks I've been driving
4: wide away
5: i I've been
0: Blitz and Trapper, right here on LiveWire Radio. They'll be back out in a moment with more music. You know, LiveWire is sponsored in part by Laughing Planet Cafe, who source local ingredients for their burritos. Because let's be honest, it seems silly to fly in chickens from the other side of the planet. Mostly because it makes the chicken self conscious about being incapable of long distance flight. God, they're thoughtful over there at Laughing Planet. Laughing Planet, so good, so close. More information can be found at laughingplanetcafe.com. Coming up, comic Dana Gould and music from Blitz and Trapper. We will be right back. back to Livewire. This is Livewire Radio. I'm your host Luke Burbank. Okay, next up. In the Battle Against Internet Idiocy, Lindy West is a hero to a lot of people. In the past couple of years, her column for the website Jezebel has dared to take on a sea of internet trolls on an almost daily basis covering topics like fat shaming and why Adam Levine from Maroon 5 might actually be the worst person ever. Probably, though, Lindy's most controversial column was the one in which she asked stand-up comics to stop telling jokes about rape. That column created a firestorm that pitted her against hundreds, literally hundreds of trolls and also some stand-up comics, but it also got her a lot of fans and supporters, people like Patton Oswalt and Rob Delaney, So here, with one story about the fallout from that column, is Lindy West.
4: Okay, so it's New Year's resolution time, which, as we all know, is that time of the year when everybody on Earth just becomes a better person, magically, for one minute. Uh, Like, January 1st through January 1st, you're unstoppable. You're, like, you're eating clean, you're not drinking, you're your best self. And then, like clockwork, literally... January 1st rolls around, and you're just, like, horizontal again, eating bugles out of a funnel that's also, like, just a bigger bugle, (laughs) just funneling it in. And it really forces you to confront the idea that this self that you are right now might actually just be your best self. Sorry. Like, it might be time... Yeah you might want to just own it and maybe update your OkCupid profile, because like (laughs) you're not athletic, like we know come on so the New Year's resolution, in my opinion, is kind of a flawed premise, because it's based on the idea that people can change Um, that they can better themselves in a fundamental way Uh, but has anyone ever actually seen that happen? (laughs) like, have you ever been like oh yeah, Jake, Jake's better, (laughs) you know? Like, oh man, like Jake 2.0 just blows classic Jake out of the water, (laughs) like, it's not really what happens. Um, We spend all this time and energy making these lofty resolutions about ourselves that we're gonna suddenly become a whole new person, but does anyone ever really change, I'm just wondering. I mean, it's never happened to me. If you're sitting in the audience being like, yes, I always fulfill my resolutions, then let's never hang out because I find you. Um, So, can people change? Personally, for my job, uh, I get to see a lot of just the worst of humanity every day um, because I work for the Internet. And if you don't know what that is, it's a machine where you put in... uh, vulnerability and emotion and hard work and then just like a piece of poop comes out and then the piece of poop tells you you're fat and that's where i'm at so so this past summer summer of 2013 uh was particularly rough for me i had two or three solid months of just, um, I'm gonna rape you, or uh, you're way fatter than the girls I usually rape, or uh, like, whoa, fatty, you're never gonna get raped in that condition. Like, I, I don't really know what reaction you're going for. Like, am I gonna be like, yay? Or like, oh, no, oh shucks. Um, <laughs> but I do know what reaction they're going for. They're just trying to hurt me. Like, they just wanna hurt me. But, I've been doing this a long time. Like, I eat, like, 35, you're fat, and I hope you dies for breakfast. Like, it's probably why I'm fat. But, um... So, it's it's nothing to me. Like, at this point, it's the equivalent of having to get up and pee in the middle of the night. Like, it's just like, ugh, okay. Okay. Like, you're not gonna... It's just the thing happens. Like, you don't like it, but you know it's gonna happen. And... So that's, that's my job and whatever. Um, but in the course of doing this job for eight years, I've built up defenses that are way stronger than I ever wanted to have, I ever wanted to need to have. But if you can find a sharp enough knife, you can cut through anything. And at the end of the long, exhausting summer of rape threats slash you're too fat to rape, um, somebody got through to me. Uh, Somebody went on Twitter and made a parody account of my father who had passed away 18 months earlier, um, just about two years ago today. Uh, My father's name was Paul West, and the Twitter account was named Paul West Dunzo because he was dead, so good one. And the Twitter bio said... Embarrassed father of an idiot, other two kids are fine though uh, his location was Dirt hole in Seattle. so this person researched my father and my family, and they found out his name, they combed through and figured out which Paul West he was among all the thousands of Paul West's on the internet and They must have read his obituary. They knew that he died of prostate cancer, and they knew that he was treated at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. They knew that I have two siblings. And if they knew all that, then they must have known how recently he died. And it was so strategic and so flawlessly crafted that it's almost like he also knew how much I loved my father. The profile photo on the account was a picture of my dad, He's sitting at his piano, smiling, in the house I grew up in. It's in our living room where we opened Christmas presents, and I did my homework, and my dad played with the dog, and the dog's dead too, so great. <laughs> and it's the safest place that I've ever known, and this person took it, and they touched it, and they perverted it, and they turned it against me. People always ask me why I engage with trolls, because I do (laughs) all the time. Uh, I talk back, and I retweet them, and I try to direct the world's attention at their violation of the social contract. And it's because trolls are human beings. They're human beings who want to be heard, and they're human beings who've lost their way, and they just want other people to give up, too. Um... Later in the summer, I wrote an essay about trolls and in it I mentioned Paul West Dunzo uh, and, you know, I fed him. I I fed the troll. I did what you're not supposed to do. And a few hours after that post went up, I got an email. Hey, Lindy. I don't know why or even when I started trolling you. It wasn't because of your stance on rape jokes. I don't find them funny either. I think my anger towards you stems from your happiness with your own being. It offended me because it served to highlight my unhappiness with my own self. I have emailed you through two other Gmail accounts just to send you idiotic insults. I apologize for that. I created the Paul West Dunzo Twitter account. I have deleted it. I can't say sorry enough. It was the lowest thing I had ever done. When you included it in your latest Jezebel article, it finally hit me. There is a living, breathing human being who is reading this I am attacking someone who has never harmed me in any way, and for no reason whatsoever. I'm done being a troll. Again, I apologize. I made a donation in memory of your dad. I wish you the best. And they attached a receipt for a $50 donation to Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. And I've never met this person, I don't know if their life is changed. I don't know if they've changed. I don't know if they actually stopped trolling women on the internet. Um, They could have changed their screen name the next day and gone right back to trying to ruin my life. But even if we can't actually change who we are forever, um, maybe it's enough and maybe it's worth it to just be better for one minute. Thanks very much.
0: That was Lindy West. (laughs) The Livewire podcast is sponsored in part by Ergo Depot, who knows that you sit hard all day but asks if maybe you could be sitting smarter. Ergo Depot's client list includes Harvard, Stanford, and Columbia University. And you can bet those Einsteins don't sit on poorly designed chairs. Ergo Depot's line of sit and stand desks, saddle seats, and kneeling chairs are all specifically designed for comfort, health, and ease of use. And you don't even have to wear your smarty pants to sit on them, but it doesn't hurt. For more information, check out ErgoDepot.com.
2: Nelson, Happy New Year! Do, 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 do. Oh, thank you so much for coming to my party.
6: No problem, Angie. Where is everybody?
2: Well, you know, about that, they're all
6: fashionably late. Uh, didn't it start two hours ago?
2: Yeah, you know, a lot of people canceled at the last second, but you're here, so everything's okay. Come on in.
6: Okay? Jeez, uh, I, I feel so underdressed. No, you look great. Thanks, but you're wearing a gown.
2: Oh, well, it's a special occasion, but the only dressy thing I had was my mom's wedding gown. Huh. <laughs> uh, anyway, you're probably starving.
6: Uh, oh, yeah. Um, here, I brought some potato salad.
2: <gasps> that is so thoughtful.
6: It it was nothing. You know,
2: I I just made some simple things I had lying around. Oysters, prime rib, asparagus. Oh, and a milkshake.
6: Just one milkshake?
2: Well, it's fine. I have two straws. You know how it is. The dishwasher was all... okay. You know, I'm going to go put on some music.
6: Uh, what's going on, Angie?
2: You know, I'm so sorry my Pandora is acting up. The only thing I can get it to play is love songs from tragic romances involving Boat Station. I hope it's okay. Uh, uh, Angie, just
6: tell me the truth. You didn't invite anybody else, did you? No, I did. You did? Who? Name them.
2: Um, Jackie. There, there's Jermaine. Oh, Marlon, of course. Uh-huh. Tito. Tito. Oh, and, and Little Michael from Sales.
6: So you invited the Jackson Five?
2: No! No, those are real people that work on different floors. So you don't see them. And uh-huh. don't ask HR about them because they're all very private people.
6: Uh, Angie, just admit that this is a date. You, you know, I would have said yes if you had just asked me out on a date. Really? You would have? Well, I, I definitely would have, but, but not now that, you know, I know you're such a liar.
2: I I'm not a liar. Well,
6: even now, after all this stuff, you still won't admit it was all fake? Angie, I'm sorry. I'm leaving. No,
2: please stay. I, I can put on my Spotify. Let's take it slow, Jams.
6: I- I'm sorry. this It's just not going to work, Angie. I- I'll see you on Monday, okay? Oh, wait. Why is the door locked? Oh,
2: you know, I've been telling my landlord to fix it. it. It's just a coincidence. It's all a coincidence. Here, I, I just need to jiggle it a certain way and...
7: Oh, pew, got it. Oh, hey, Tito. Hey, Angie, you look great. I brought Michael.
8: Hi, Angie. Sorry we're late. I'm Michael.
6: <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're really... Uh,
2: yeah, you know, you, you'd better go, Nelson. You're really killing the vibe.
6: I'm sorry, Angie. I just thought Just that...
7: go, you weirdo. Oh, you made my favorites, oysters and milkshakes.
6: Celine Dion, I love her.
7: Sorry I'm overdressed. It's laundry day, and the only clean thing I have was this tuxedo.
0: Sean McGrath, Laura Fay Smith, Andrew Harris, and Courtney Hommeister. All right, this is Live Wire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. If it seems like Dana Gould has been an important part of the alternative comedy scene forever, it's because he literally has. Starting out at 17 years old in the 1980s, Dana made his mark with material that was both cerebral and silly. He went on to write TV shows, eventually becoming executive producer of The Simpsons, a show you may have heard of if you're into obscure TV trivia. He also has a wonderful podcast, The Dana Gould Hour, which you can listen to, and his new comedy album, I Know It's Wrong, is available through iTunes. Please welcome Dana Gould to Live Wire.
3: I'm going to tell you a story about a funny little bearded man who lives in a remote area with his little helpers. And he has a list of all of those who are naughty and nice. So begins the story of Charles Manson. (laughs) Let's be honest, the parallels are terrifying. I know it's the holiday season, and I'd like to keep things upbeat, but I would like to say one or two things about Charles Manson right here at the top. One, he still occasionally goes up for parole. Does he get his hopes up? Is he in the cell the night before, practicing in the mirror? Charles Manson, nice to see you. Chuck, call me Charles. Charles. Good Charles. Fantasizing about the day job he's going to have when he gets out. Charles Manson, Acme Aquatics, who's here to buy a boat? (laughs) My name is Dana Gould. I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. I was born on August 24th, 1964, which is exactly nine months and two days after the Kennedy assassination. Which tells you all you need to know about how my father processes grief.) <laughs> we are at the tail end of the holiday uh, events. Uh, it all starts with Halloween, which is when strangers come to your home. And take your stuff. Then there's Thanksgiving, or as Native Americans call it, Halloween. (laughs) Then, of course, there's Christmas, the King Kong of holidays, and it truly is an amazing day. 2,000 years ago, a virgin gave birth to the Son of God. So I have to go to Home Depot and rush hour traffic to buy my brother a nail gun. <laughs> I have children, which is, you know, the greatest. It's funny, just as a side note, my four-year-old daughter had um, her first tea party for her friends last week and the house is full of these little girls in these little dresses just bitching about Obama saying that <laughs> health care is communism <laughs> oh do they hate taxes those little tiny girls <laughs> that's uh, a joke based on the two meanings of the term tea party <laughs> little inside baseball there for you uh, No, it's hard because I want my children to have a a sense of wonder for as long as they can. Yet at the same time, like many of you national public radio listeners, I'm a dedicated and fervent fundamentalist secular humanist. (laughs) So you find yourself in these odd conversations like, Dad, what's the deal with Santa Claus? Well, it's very important, sweetheart. Santa Claus lives in the North Pole. And he sees all the kids. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. And he has a list of the kids that are good and the kids that are bad. And on Christmas Eve, he gets in his magic sleigh with his magic reindeer, and he gives toys to all of the good children all over the world. And because it's magic, he can do it all in a night. Yeah, well, Olivia says that Christmas is really because it's Jesus' birthday, and he's the son of God. Yes, but that's more of a fantasy, honey. That's a fable that people believe. You don't want to get too strung up in the weeds on that. Let's try very hard to keep this an ironic Christmas. Okay? I do. That's why I only have one Christmas album. I I listen to the Frank Sinatra Christmas album every year, which is interesting because, you know, I think you all know, uh, Frank loved and lost... And his voice is capable of communicating many things. But the beatitude of the season, not among them. His Christmas, if you ever listen to his Christmas album, there's just this odd edge to it. It's like, you know, jingle bells, tinky two, zim, zim, zoo, they ring at you. It's like, are you threatening me? Stop this. That's the Christmas season. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Hey, Edward Snowden should work for this guy. NPR joke. Come on, that's awesome. <laughs> Let me leave you with this. This is something uh, something a dear friend of mine said to me recently. Uh, and it just shows, if, 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 the, if the point of the holiday season and the new year is to change the way we are with people to better ourselves as, a, as individuals and as a, as, a, as a race. Well, this really may somebody I've known for a long time. And they said, you know, Dana, you might not be the best looking guy in the world. You might not be the smartest guy in the world. You might not be the funniest guy in the world. That's all I wanted to say. The end. Thank you very much.
0: Dana Gould, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Welcome to LiveWire, Dana. Thank you, Luke. Um, uh, As a fan of your podcast and also listening to some of your other appearances, I know that you have been going through some pretty big... Personal changes in the family department <laughs> yeah. which has got to be weird around the holidays
3: It's very strange for those of you I, I had a very strange year I, uh, I lost my wedding ring um, I was uh, in a divorce and <laughs> just went away uh, Turns out it uh, turns out there's a, a, a law office in Beverly Hills that has a list of people they think were naughty. And I'm on it. No, uh, yeah, no, it's been interesting. Uh, and, and what I've found is that, uh, you know, talking to people about your divorce, it's, it's kind of like talking to them about your diarrhea. <laughs> it's really all you can think about. <laughs> and nobody wants to hear a word. When you get married, uh, they say, till death do you part, which is God's way of saying, there's a way out of this. (laughs) It's a little extreme. (laughs) So I don't like to think of it so much as getting divorced as that I've cheated death. And it worked out perfectly because my New Year's resolution last year was to spend a lot more time in an empty house sighing.
0: Have you, have you found yourself accidentally embodying this sort of cliche of a divorced guy? Because I, you know, I yes, did, uh, yeah, <laughs> basically, yes,
3: accidentally. Mm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it is literally my.
3: Uh, Uh, like, you know, the fridge, like, mustard. (laughs) Mustard and water. Um... Now, but, you uh, were,
0: were you working for The Simpsons when one of the characters, I think it might be Milhouse's dad, asked to move yes. into the Bachelor Arms apartment
3: no. complex? No, but I was involved in that, and we just thought it was so funny to make fun of how pathetic Milhouse's dad would be at the uh, <laughs> uh, apartment complex. It was based on a thing in Los Angeles called the Oakwoods, which is where all the... And we were like, does this apartment have a good hanging beam? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> good, strong support beam right in the library. Oh, that was so funny before. (laughs) But, uh, and, and this is sort of a, this is sort of an untoward story, but I'll, I'll tell it as delicately as I can. Um, I took my computer with me, Mm -hmm. but this happened to my new house, or as I call it,
0: Falcon's Lair. (laughs) I hope that's on your Tinder profile. <laughs> Seven people under the age of 30 got that joke.
3: My Tinder, my Tinder profile is just me and then Undertaker's like... like, like. <laughs> um, uh, look for the cr- trash can full of TV dinner boxes. No, um, no, it's not that bad. But long story longer, my 10-year-old daughter, at the time she was 10, was on the Internet looking for lyrics to a Taylor Swift song. Uh, called, like, Sexy Girl or something, and she just Googled Sexy Girl. Yeah. And, bye, childhood! Bye, childhood! Thank you, Internet! Um, Thanks for ruining everything, always. Um, The Internet, it never disappoints until it does, which is always.
0: Um, Do you feel like you're at least, and this is... A small comfort, I would imagine, but do you feel like you're getting some decent material yeah. out of the complete collapse of your life? Ironically, the phrase small comfort is on my Tinder profile. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but you can tell that from the Irish name. Um, but but this, is what, this is a true story. This is a true story. So I got this thing called Safe Eyes, and I put it on the computer, and it's a content blocker uh, for the kids. And... Uh, I just did it and then um, promptly forgot the password to to turn it off. So now I live alone (laughs) and I find that because I can't get to pornography that I have like an extra 23 and a half hours a day. (laughs) That I use for leisure time and inventing. <laughs> like the Romans thought the roads would do. Uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very... Uh, it's, 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 it's a bizarre time. And I, uh, it's fi- I, things are fine. I mean, I wouldn't be joking about it if things were, uh, were really crappy. Is that, is that true? No. And,
0: and, and, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I, I actually wonder about that because I have, a, I have a, a, another comedian friend who also just went through a divorce. What? A and, comedian? And, Not good a, in a relationship? I know. He didn't have safe eyes on his computer, and his ex-wife <laughs> oh, looked yeah. at the browsing history. It is amazing. He, they split up. They had a talk uh, about the relationship, and, and they were married for like some very short amount of time. The, I believe the day or the day after they sort of decided they were splitsville, he went to a place um, called like Flappers in Burbank <laughs> I know. and him. did I... a tight five minutes on his emotional huh. Decline, like uh-huh. that was how he processed it. Sure, are you? I mean, are you? Absolutely. Are you motivated by the same kind of thing. Well, I'm not, no, that, that's putting the
3: car before the horse. I, it absolutely helps to uh, to be able to talk about it. I mean, you can't not talk about what's the most um, extant thing in your psychological landscape, but uh, you have to be very careful because, like, I don't talk. You, there are other people involved that don't think it's funny <laughs> at all. Uh, and I respect that, and, it's, uh, and it, it is more, you know, the, 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 my failings are, are the interesting, and there's always ways to talk about it that are, that are funny, and it's absolutely cathartic. Again, a true story, I felt, you know, I wanted to talk to my parents about it. We've been together forever. Um, uh, not my, par- my parents and I. Literally, as far as I'm concerned, we've been together forever. <laughs> For me, it was just their way of processing the horror of Dealey Plaza. Um, <laughs> And I feel weird when I watch the Zapruder film because I realize that had he missed, I might not be here.
0: Did your dad ever look at your mom and say, you want to visit the book depository? <laughs> I was just
3: surprised that Texas had a book depository. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most shocking thing of the whole deal. Um, do I have a say? I'll just tell this one story really quickly. Absolutely. If right time. Uh, or if you're, you can always cut it. We've we've already cut most yeah, of this interview. <laughs> yeah, it'll just be like snippets of I love Luke Burbank show. <laughs> oh, so you've heard Livewire. <laughs> uh, so I I went home to Bo- uh, to Boston where I'm from to tell my parents and uh, my wife and I have been together as a couple and and married all oh, 18 years, and uh, so I sat down and I said uh, you know um, I never wanted to have this conversation with you but. I think that we're going to get divorced. Fortunately for me, I come from a very big Irish family, and my mother won't let uh, five siblings. And my mother won't let anyone accomplish anything, lest it make someone else feel bad. So it's just like, well, uh, it looks like uh, it looks like we're going to get divorced. Well, the bad news is going around. Your sister's cat had a miscarriage. <laughs> Almost killed it. Ruined the mudroom. <laughs> I bought a plane ticket to have this conversation, Mom. <laughs> even, with good, this, even with good stuff, Mom, I won an Emmy for writing on The Simpsons. Well, your father found a box of D batteries down by the dump, and they're all still good. <laughs> Been a big week for everybody.
0: Dana Gould, ladies and gentlemen. That's Dana Gould. Make sure you check out the Dana Gould Hour and also his new comedy album on iTunes called I Know It's Wrong. During the holidays, many of us heard the story of the Grinch who stole Christmas from the Who's in Whoville over and over again. But now that the holidays are over, the real story seems to be emerging. The UN Human Rights Commission uncovered evidence that the Grinch was unfairly vilified and that something more terrible may have taken place in the years leading up to that fateful holiday. For more, here's reporter Leanne Dominguez-Cohen in the foothills of Who Mountain. And a note, parts of this story may be too graphic for younger listeners.
7: The sun rises over Whoville, but the Grinch has been up for an hour already.
8: <sighs> There's no fresh water up here, so I have to carry it uphill every day.
7: The Grinch is the last of his kind, A race of furry green creatures native to this area.
8: Before the invasion, we were a peaceful agrarian people. When the Who's came, we were completely unprepared. They're a fully industrialized society armed with flube flobbers and a phalanx of twinkle tanks.
7: The Grinches were driven into the hills, a lifestyle they were woefully unprepared for.
8: Oh, sure, they let some of us live, but they forced us off our homeland and up into these craggy Clue Mountains.
7: The Whos tell the story a little differently. Cindy Lou Who was a child when it started. We
2: didn't mean to hurt anybody. We wanted to live peacefully alongside the Grinches, but they insisted on
5: war.
8: History is written by the victors, but look at the facts. Grinchville was wiped out. They even built the first bank of Whoville on a sacred Grinch burial ground.
7: Every year, the Hoos celebrate their victory over the Grinches on Christmas Day.
8: (laughs) Yeah, that song, that's Whovian for... Thanks for the land. Die, Grinches, die.
7: Oh, that's a loose translation. For the last remaining Grinch, Christmas is a sad reminder of a dark time.
8: The Hoos came in the middle of the night. Two of them tied up my cousin with floozle risen and threw him in the back of their guffloppity wumpus. I never saw them again.
2: There is Absolutely no evidence of any of that.
8: We were just minding our own business, farming our Grinch beans, and... We
2: tried to live side by side with the Grinches. We even invited them to our hoof feasts.
8: It's Grinch leg. That's what roast beast is. Grinch leg meat. It's barbaric.
2: It may have been Grinch-based back in the day, but now it's mostly soy.
8: And before any of you buy any more for propaganda, my heart isn't too small either, okay? It's a chronic condition I developed from an acute schnoozle deficiency.
7: But didn't your heart grow three sizes that Christmas?
8: Well, it's better, thanks to a strict exercise regimen. But but you you know what didn't grow at all? My family. Because the Who's ate them. (laughs)
7: For NPR, in the mountains above Whoville, I'm Leanne Dominguez-Cohen.
8: It's not Whoville, it's Grinchville, and it's our holy land. Sore
7: loser. <laughs>
0: That's Andrew Harris, Laura Faye Smith, and Courtney Hameister. You are listening to Livewire, where we know that Christmas is spent with families, but New Year's is spent on a boat in a man made river in Las Vegas, screaming into the desert night, dressed like Huckleberry Finn while drinking champagne from a bucket. Or however you do it. Coming up, music from Blitz and Trapper. We will be right back. The Livewire podcast is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, who would like to take this opportunity to ask, What is your favorite squash? Now, don't jump the gun here. This is a big decision. You don't want to get stuck with decorative gourd because that is, as we know, not but a passing fancy. Pumpkins also are fine as far as pumpkins go. And yes, zucchini. That is fun to say. But uh, could we point you in the direction of the noble winter squash, which actually includes a variety of subsquashes, which is a value added right there? Consider the acorn, butternut, or spaghetti squash. Fine squashes all, and sure to receive high praise at your next squash tasting party. For recipes, nutrition facts, and more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to LiveWire. All right, guys, now it's time for a little segment where we answer your most pressing questions. We call it Dear LiveWire. You've
5: got questions. We've got answers. We should totally hook up. Dear LiveWire.
0: Here's how this works. We get questions from our live audience, and also people submit them through Twitter, Facebook, Um, And uh, we try to answer those questions. This week's question comes from listener Ryan, and Ryan asks, why does the grass look greener on the other side? And we want to try to get a real answer for this, so we've turned to mechanical engineer and author of the upcoming book, Physics for Rockstars, Making the Laws of the Universe Work for You, Christine McKinley.
1: Thank you. Well, first, I think it's important to understand that we as humans are literally wired to see green. Uh, Green is right in the middle of our our visible spectrum. And from an evolutionary um, point of view, that makes perfect sense. Because if you can see green, then you know where the water is and where all the delicious plants and animals are hanging out. But why does your neighbor's yard look more green, I think is the question.
0: I believe Irma Bombeck posited that it was because yeah, yeah. it was over the septic, septic tank.
1: tank, right, right.
0: Most of my humor reading was things my mom bought at rummage sales as right. a kid, including yeah. large print Irma Bombeck books.
1: I read that one. But if you think about it, so if you're standing in your own yard, and you, you look down and you see the tips of your green grass, but you also see the yellow patches that you didn't water and the beer bottle caps and gum wrappers that you threw from the porch. And so it doesn't look quite as green, but if you look over at your neighbor's yard, you're looking at an angle, right? So you're going to see mostly the tips of the grass and not all their litter and non-watered spots, right? Now, if the angle becomes more acute, if you sort of scrunch down, it looks even greener, which is why um, tall people feel more optimistic and more satisfied with their lives, because for short people... (laughs) The grass is literally quite a bit greener on the other side of the fence. That's part of it. That's part of it.
8: Jeez.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so that's the scientific answer.
1: Right. Right. On
0: a more just kind of like how we as humans, how we tend to feel about the world, why is it that when we look at other people and their experiences, Mm -hmm. it always seems like it's going better for other people and other people's lawns.
1: Yeah, good question. So, um, I think it's just just like um, the earth looks really like this serene blue orb from outer space. It's because you can't see the black friday lines and fist fights from <laughs> outer space. So, and it's the same with other people's lives. You can look at them and think, "Oh, this just looks so Glamorous and effortless and simple, but if you really got to know them, you'd find that they have these sort of raggedy, unwatered patches just like your own life. and um, so what I like to do I you know I want to appear cool and glamorous and so what I like to do is just keep people as far away from me as possible. <laughs> it really works and by all means don't unlock the gate and let them in your yard so they can see the true color of your grass. That's what
7: I do.:
0: The cool and glamorous but emotionally closed off Christine McKinley, ladies and gentlemen. That's Dear Livewire for you, which is brought to you, as always, by New Belgium Brewing. You know that New Belgium is proud to present Accumulation, a white IPA created for the season when thermostats start going up and scarves stop being worn ironically. More information at newbelgium.com. All right, folks, we're in the home stretch here on this post-Christmas, pre-New Year's edition of Live Wire Radio. Hey, LiveWire would like to give a special thanks to our Northwest Radio partners for their generous support. 101.9 Kink, Progressive Rock Radio here in Portland, KUOW in Seattle, and of course, our hometown host station, KOPB. Thanks, you guys. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We've been hearing about some of the ways that humans can be mean to each other from Lindy West and, and also the ways that relationships sometimes don't turn out how we'd hoped from Dana Gould. And I know that that is all true about this world, but I got to be honest, I can't even hear that right now because I've got this new puppy, Rudy, that I got for Christmas sitting on my lap here in the house in Seattle. Rudy, you want to say one more thing here? Listen, she sounds mellow. Okay. But let me just give you an update on the last hour during the show. Um, She ate an entire roll of tinsel. Um, She went outside two times, but did not pee, which means we're probably um, due for an indoor treat here in a minute. Um, And she's also basically the cutest thing I've ever laid eyes on. Right, Rudy? Okay, listen if a puppy isn't hope and joy inducing enough for you heading into the new year, how about this? How about some music featuring banjo from Portland's own Blitzen Trapper?
5: Let in this rain.
0: That's Blitz and Trapper. All right, that's our show this week. Thanks to our guests, Lindy West, Dana Gould, and Blitz and Trapper. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, Laughing Planet Cafe, and Burgerville. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Arts Commission, and National Endowment for the Arts, and listeners like you, fine, beautiful people. Our hotel accommodations are generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe in Portland, Oregon. Our media partners are KUOW 94.9 FM in Seattle and Oregon Public public broadcasting as well as Kink FM. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is also produced by Courtney Hameister and Jim Brunberg. Our sketch comedy troupe is Sean McGrath, Andrew Harris, and Laura Faye Smith. Our head writer is Courtney Hameister with show writers Sean McGrath, Scott Poole, Jason Rouse, and me. Our guest writers this show were Alex Falcone and Andrew Harris. Sound effects by Jason Rouse. Special thanks to Revival Drum Shop. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about our show or how you can become a member of Livewire, please visit livewireradio.org. And you can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Or you can find us at Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. Thanks for listening.